Welcome to another episode of the Biblia Sacra podcast, a podcast that exists to help you become a better reader of scripture and to wrestle with the strange parts of the Bible. My name is Jeff. I'm a master's student at Duke Divinity School, and I'm glad you're here. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Biblia Sacra podcast. I'm glad you're here. If you don't know me, my name is Jeff. I'm a master's student at Duke Divinity School, and I'm excited to announce today a new series that we're going to be doing on the Biblia Sacra podcast. And really, it's going to be what the the podcast is about going forward. And that is this. We're going to walk through the entire biblical narrative verse by verse with one another. We're going to read it aloud. We're going to dissect it. In a sense, this podcast is going to act as a sort of verbal commentary of scripture to help Christians read the Bible and to help dissect the Bible verse by verse. And I'm really excited about this because there's a lot of cool Bible media out there. We've got the Bible Project. We've got other things, but a a lot of this other media that exists to help Christians read scripture is very big picture oriented. It discusses and addresses programmatic themes of the biblical narrative, overarching kind of narrative subplots, but there's, to my knowledge, not really anything that walks through scripture verse by verse. And so this podcast, in a sense, going forward is going to attempt to do that. And the hope is, is that we would create a sort of community that reads and wrestles with scripture alongside one another. And to start, we're going to begin reading my favorite book in the Bible, The Gospel According to Luke. And in starting with the Gospel of Luke, we're making an important interpretive and hermeneutical decision. And I know those are two big words, and I want to break them down. A hermeneutic is just the way in which one reads a text or a book. And I think it's important that as Christians, we think about how we ought to read the Bible. And we've spent a little time thinking with one another about how we should read the Bible in the last couple of episodes. If you haven't listened to those, you could go back and listen to them. And we're going to take some of those conversations and they're going to shape the way in which we read the Bible verse by verse with one another. But we're starting with Luke in particular because Luke has a way of reading scripture and of reading Israel's scripture. And I think it's important that we learn how to read the Bible by reading the Bible. That might sound super simple, but I think it's actually an important interpretive move. We're going to learn how to read scripture by looking at how Luke reads scripture and how he narrates the story of Jesus as the climax of the story that scripture tells. And it's in reading that story that we'll be taught how to read the rest of the story. And so we're going to start with Jesus. And we're going to work our way through the Gospel of Luke. And as we read the Gospel according to Luke, I think we're going to encounter a programmatic theme that is a reoccurring theme. And I think that theme could be summed up in these words, and they're complex words, but I'll break them down. But this reoccurring theme is covenantal continuity and eschatological discontinuity. And that's a really fancy way of saying that in his Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, the God of Israel, has finally and climactically done what he always promised to do. 
And because he has done what he always promised to do, the world is a very different place. And as we read through the Gospel of Luke, uh, I'd encourage you all to have that theme in the back of your mind. That what God is up to in Jesus is in accordance with what he has always promised to do, and particularly with what he has promised to Israel. Jesus is the God of Israel's fulfillment to his promises to Israel in particular. And because the God of Israel has done what he always promised to do, there is discontinuity. The world's a different place. Luke might say that it's been flipped upside down. He might even say that the down and out are now on top, that the poor have been exalted and lifted up and the powerful humbled. And it's because the God of Israel has fulfilled his promises to Israel that he could say such a crazy thing. And with that, friends, let's read the Bible with one another. Whether you're driving in your car, on a walk or a run, or you have an actual Bible in front of you, I think there's power when scripture is read aloud and when we reflect on it with one another. The passage we're going to be looking at today in Luke's gospel, it's the very beginning of his gospel, and it is what Luke scholars and scholars of the New Testament call the Lucan prologue. Lucan is just the adjectival form of the noun Luke. It's just a way of saying the prologue that is like Luke. It's the Lucan prologue, and it's been the subject of much debate in Lucan scholarship, and we're not really going to entertain those debates. They're important, but they're not helpful in really understanding Luke's gospel. I think the best way to go about understanding Luke's gospel is to actually read it. So much has been said about the Lucan prologue because unlike the other gospel authors, Luke has a preface to his work. He doesn't just dive on into the story that he's written about Jesus. He first addresses his reader, who has a name, unlike other gospel authors. Luke names his reader, and he addresses his reader. And so that's unique compared to the other gospels. His preface makes his literary work stand out. But we're not going to dive into the minutia of the details of that argument And instead, we're going to read the Lucan preface, and we're going to see what implications it might have for the way in which we'll go about reading the rest of Luke's gospel. So, friends, let's read the gospel according to Luke. Here we are in Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Since many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the events that have come to fulfillment among us, And here we have verse 1, and I think there are a couple important things in verse 1. Luke writes, since many have undertaken to compile a narrative. I think there's a really important word right here in Luke 1.1 that has significant implications for how it is we're going to go about reading the narrative that Luke is writing about Jesus, and then the subsequent narrative that he writes about the early church and the Acts of the Apostles. And that word is this word, a narrative. In a lot of translations, you'll see that this is an orderly account. But the literal translation of this word, diegesis, would be a narrative. And I think this has one important implication for how we're going to go about reading Luke's gospel. 
And that implication pertains to history and the question of what really happened. Because I'm not convinced that Luke was all that interested in narrating the history and the story of Jesus as it exactly happened. And that, in fact, Luke might want us to read his story about Jesus as a story. And that might be comforting for some of us who ask the question that not everyone thinks about, but I know some people do, as to whether or not we can trust the Gospels and whether or not the Gospels are historically reliable. I know some of you might have never even thought to have asked that question. Some of you have been thinking about that question, and it might keep some of you up at night. I know it's kept me up at night in the past, but I don't think Luke is all that concerned with answering that question. And in fact, I think when we think about what history is and doing history as modern persons, I'm convinced that we're not at all equipped to answer that question and that Luke might not want us to. Luke, I think, understands his narrative, the story that he's written about Jesus, to be theologically load-bearing. That is to say that his story contains theological truth, and it ought to be read as such as a story that speaks theologically to our situation today. So that's the first implication, and it has to do with what Luke calls his gospel. He doesn't, in fact, call it a gospel. He calls it a narrative, a story. That runs directly counter to what Mark titles his literary work. Mark's gospel begins the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark very clearly titles his gospel a gospel, a euvangelion in the Greek. Luke doesn't. Luke titles his literary work a narrative, and we ought to read it as a story about Jesus. The story itself might not beg the historical questions that we like to ask in the modern world and as modern persons. So as we read Luke's story, we're not going to concern ourselves with the question of what really happened. And that's not because that's not an important question, but it's because we're going to recognize that there is theological merit in reading Luke's story as a story and in not asking those sorts of questions. But there's another important implication in the second half of this verse 1. Since many writers have undertaken to compile a narrative account of the events that have come to fulfillment among us, and it has to do with that latter half of the first verse, the events that have come to fulfillment among us. Fulfillment, we're going to see as we continue to read Luke's gospel, is a very prominent theme in the Lucan program and in his literary work. It has to do with the sort of story that Luke is writing. Remember, he, he just told us he's writing a story. He's writing a narrative. But it's not a new story. It's not a new narrative. In Luke wants us to understand the story that he's writing as being the climactic fulfillment of a story that's already been told. It's an old story, and we'll see that very soon. It's a story that's being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's not a new one, but it is in continuity and fulfillment of an old one. In that Greek verb, the events that have come to fulfillment among us, I think, points us backwards to the story of Israel. And Luke wants us to know that 
the story, the narrative that he's writing has to do with what God has done in the past, and it exists in continuity with that story. But Luke is convinced, if his gospel is of any indication, that the story of Israel has entered into a climactic new phase. And thus, in his story, there does exist discontinuity between his literary program and the history of Israel. But that discontinuity, remember, exists only because the God of Israel has finally and climatically done what he always promised to do. Remember, this is a theme that we're going to have to be thinking of as we read Luke's gospel. How do we do justice to the radical newness of Jesus without doing away with what the God of Israel was up to with Israel? This is going to be something that we have to continually think about as we read Luke's gospel, and we need to learn how to think about this from Luke. And we're going to do that not by theorizing about it, but by reading, and reading in particular Luke's gospel. And so let's move on to verse 2. Just as the eyewitnesses and ministers of the word passed them on to us, I too have decided after tracing everything carefully from the beginning to put them systematically in writing for you, Theophilus. And the second half of that verse was actually verse 3. So that's verses 2 and 3. And here we're going to encounter the second implication for reading Luke's gospel. And it has to do with Theophilus. I don't know if you've read Luke's gospel, but here it is. We are encountering something that makes Luke incredibly unique. He names his reader. We don't necessarily know who Theophilus was, but we might know who he is. See, the, the makeup of the word literally means etymologically, and etymologically just means like the makeup. It's the study of a makeup of a particular word. Theo, meaning God. Phyllis, meaning beloved. Phyllis, meaning beloved. The name Theophilus literally means beloved by God. And so there are two kind of schools of interpretation regarding Theophilus. Some think, some scholars of Luke's gospel think that Theophilus is a Christian convert in Luke's day who is funding Luke's literary program so that he could afford to write his gospel. Because you see, writing in the ancient world was an incredibly expensive enterprise. It wasn't cheap. It required a lot of capital. And some people posit Theophilus is kind of Luke's patron, the one who is funding his literary work so that he might write and publish his gospel. Others think that the name Theophilus might be a stand-in for those who are beloved by God, that Luke's gospel might just be addressed to your average Christian who, who was literate in the ancient world and who was beloved by God, and that readers of Luke's gospel in the ancient world, or hearers in more particular, the gospels were most likely intended to be read in public worship in the ancient world. Most people couldn't read. And so some scholars think that when Christians in the first century were sitting down to hear the gospel read, and they, they heard Theophilus read aloud, they would have understood this document, this, this gospel, this literary work to be addressed to them, those who are beloved by God. And if I had to vote for one of these interpretive options, I think I would vote for the second. I think Luke is writing his work so that you and I, those who are beloved by God, might be assured of the good news of the gospel 
is revealed in Jesus Christ. And that can lead us to our final point, because Luke finishes and closes his preface saying, For you, Theophilus, I've written for you. I've written for you, beloved by God, those who are loved by God, so that your excellency may realize what assurance you have for the instruction you have received. And so Luke, Luke is writing to build up. He's writing to assure us of the faith that we have received. He's writing to ensure, to ensure us and to build up our assurance in the hope of the gospel. And therefore, any reading of Luke's gospel that tears down instead of builds up is not doing justice to the text which we seek to interpret and which we claim to understand. Luke wants to assure us of our hope in the gospel. And as we continue to read Luke's gospel with one another, and as we continue to learn from Luke how to read the rest of the Bible, that, that is our hope and prayer is that we would be built up in the truth of the gospel and that our hope in it would be assured. And so with that, friends, we can close. In the next episode, we'll be taking a look at the beginning of the famous infancy narrative of Luke's gospel. It's going to be super interesting. And I'm excited for this journey that we're about to begin reading the Bible with one another, listening to it read aloud and expounded. As I said earlier, that's actually more consistent with how the earliest Christians would have experienced the gospel. Not being able to read, they probably would have heard it read aloud, and they would have heard it expounded upon. They would have heard preachers expand upon individual verses. And so, in a sense, I want to invite each and every one of you to experience the Gospels as the earliest Christians did. And my hope and prayer is that this podcast would be a space in which we could do that. And if you're at all interested in this project, in reading the Bible with one another as a community, line by line, verse by verse, asking tough questions of Scripture, wrestling with it, I'd really invite you to share this podcast with your friends. Our hope is that we would create an online community that wrestles with scripture together and that learns to love God and neighbor more deeply because of the God that we encounter in this story. And so with that, friends, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Biblia Sacra podcast. I'm grateful.